Spirit work within us. To Him be the glory, in the, <clears throat> to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. We returned to our study of Ephesians a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here. Uh, with these same two verses, we really only studied the first, very first half, the very first part of these of this two verses. And, and I, because it's been a little while, I need to refresh you. I need to get that back in your mind because it really builds off of, of itself. As we looked at them, I wanted to encourage you, as we were gathered together on December 29th, coming out of Christmas, facing the new year, I really wanted to, to encourage you to not just flee from the Christmas celebration, not just to run off from the Christmas celebration and forget that everything we do, everything that we have, everything that we are enabled to, to enjoy and, and the peace that we have, the hope that we have, the, the blessings that we experience are all tied up in Jesus Christ and His coming. So here we are, a people who should be celebrating Christmas every day of the year, right? And that's, that's who we are. As we did that, as we came to this passage, I just wanted to encourage you to remember what God is able to do. And so we spent time not just looking in Ephesians, but looking across the entire, the entire Bible, looking from the front to the back of the Bible, looking at what God is able to do. He is able. It's this ability, it's this, this power that He has, this, this, this capability, I guess maybe is a better way to say, another way to say it. It's this capability that sets Him apart from all other gods. And I'm not talking about that there's any real gods, but there's certainly gods of our own making. There's all, there's all these things that we create in our own mind, figments of our imagination that have no real power, but that we devote ourselves to. This capability, this, this, this ability of gods to actually do something, to affect some uh, difference in this world, sets him apart from all other gods. It is what establishes his position in our world. And I wanted to encourage you with that. I wanted you to live in that. I wanted that to be what you built your year on. I wanted that to be that thing that, that was the foundation for you as you face the coming year. We see that most clearly in Jesus' life, and that's why we can't run away from Christmas. And we see His ability, His capability, His power most clearly demonstrated in Jesus' life. How do you know that God is powerful? How do you know? Have you ever wondered this? How do we know? In, in Jesus' life, as He walked the face of the earth, he exercised divine power when he changed water to wine, when he made the deaf, the deaf hear, the blind see, and the lame walk, when he called the dead people to be alive. That's where we see his power at work. And here's the thing. When people contest Jesus, they don't contest this. This is not the thing that they try to undermine. Because it's historical, it's demonstrated outside of the Bible that he was a man who exercised divine power. So anytime you doubt God's power, look at Jesus. How do we know that God loves us? We just sang a song. <clears throat> Excuse me. We just sang a song about his love. Oh, how he loves us. How do we know? How do you know every day when, it's, when the going gets tough, when life is difficult, how do you know that God loves you? Because he doesn't just say he loves you. He loves, he loves you more than just in words. He loves you in his deeds. See, Jesus came and He died on the cross in our place for our sins. If you ever doubt God's love for you, look at the cross. Think of the cross. How do you know that God's blessed you? Maybe you don't have all the money that you'd like to have. Maybe you don't drive the car that you'd like to drive. Maybe you don't live in the house that you'd like to live in. How do you know that you're blessed? 
we often measure our blessings in physical, tangible things. But how do we know we're blessed even when we don't have all that our, 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 our flesh longs for? As Jesus said, He came to serve and not be served. He came to do something for you. The reason the Gospel is powerful, the reason that it means something and is special or one of the reasons that it is, is because it's not just a message that defines God or, or uh, uh, shows God, but it's a message that applies His power to you. That's why it's good news. Otherwise, it'd just be news. It would just be news. If Jesus came to die to glorify God but not bless you in any way, it would just be news. Hey, did you hear about that guy that came and died and now we know God's glorified, but we don't get to enjoy any of that? Well, that's really bad news. It's good news because He has made you His beneficiary. He has made you the recipient of His goodwill in Jesus Christ. Do you ever doubt your blessings? If you ever wonder if you're blessed, think of Jesus. How, how do you know that God will fulfill His promises to you? There's a lot we've been promised. We've been promised that our needs will be provided. We've been promised that that uh, that He's gonna that He's gonna watch over our way. He's gonna. He, we've been promised that there's an inheritance, that there's a, a better day coming, that there's a an end in sight, a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. How do we know that that those promises will be fulfilled? Our hope is not just blind. It's built on the solid foundation that was built in Jesus Christ. He is the first fruit. He's no longer dead in a tomb. The, the tomb was empty. And again, it's not something that they deny. It's something that they made a story up for. But the tomb was empty. Jesus had risen and He is alive. That's how we know that our promises will be fulfilled. Because Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, caring for us, His people, those that have a, have a special place. Who The letter of Ephesians, Paul wrote in the letter of Ephesians that are seated at the right hand of God with Him. You want to know if your promises will be fulfilled? Do you ever doubt in the promises, the fulfillment of God's promises? Look at Jesus. God is able. That's, that's, where we, that's where we were a couple of weeks ago. That, that was the intention of the last weeks of, of, of the previous week's sermon. But as I mentioned in closing, it's not just about encouragement. One of the most difficult things we face in the Christian life is learning to live and trust in this power, God's power, His ability, more than our own. It is difficult. It, is, it, it takes discipline. It takes effort. To set aside and step into His power and set aside your own. It's tough. But that's what we as Christians are called to. And that's exactly what Paul is getting to in this verse. We definitely need to remember His ability. We can't forget it because that's what we're stepping into. We've got to remember it. We've got to remind ourselves of it regularly. But He exerted this power on our behalf. That that's, is important for us to remember. But here's the thing. In these two verses, there's a pivot point that happens in the letter of Ephesians. Something, Paul's, Paul's tone changes, and there's a shift. He goes from the first three chapters have all been about God has done this. He saved you. He redeemed and forgave you. 
He reconciled you to Himself and His people. He gave you a new purpose. He gave you mission. He brings good in your suffering. He does this work. That's, that's His power. That's His work. That's what He does. But in this verse, we see a shift that's about to change the whole focus of the last half of this letter. He says, according to the power that's at work within us, to Him be the glory. You see, Paul is calling us to remember God's ability to think about all that He's taught us. He's calling us to, to put it in front of us, to remember it, to, to think on it, to, to let it be the foundation on which we are now called to act. God did this, now you do this. To Him be the glory. Now, as that happens, we're going to change the whole focus of the sermon series that we've been in. We've been talking about God's work as His gracious rebellion. His rebellion to overturn the effects of sin, our sin. Our rebellion. And He has come in to our, into our existence, into our life, and He has turned that over. He has rebelled against our rebellion in grace. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's an act of His good will. He's done that. Now He says, I've done this. And because of that, because of the Gospel, I want you to do this. I want you to live for my fame. I want you to live for my glory. I want your life to be about making my life known. That's what this is all about. That's exactly what's happening in these, in these two letters, in the chapters that follow, and you'll see that in the weeks and months to come, you'll see it happening. You'll see the instruction. But remember, it's all about this, this, this idea, this thought. It's for His glory. You don't have to earn your place in front of God. He did it. You don't have to find approval from God. He's approved you in Jesus Christ. You don't have to look to, to God to manipulate Him and get Him to act on your behalf to bless you. He's already done it in Jesus Christ. You don't have to look to God to, to, to wish that He would act in some other way. He's already done His best for you in Jesus Christ. And now because He's done that, you can turn and make your life about His glory. See, having been saved by Him, having been transformed by Him, it, it totally enables us to change the whole perspective of our life. It, it allows us to make all of our life, everything we do, everything we do, it allows us, empowers us to make it about worship. See, God's power at work in us sets Him apart as the only God worthy to be worshipped. It's, it's the thing that sets Him apart as, as the God who, who only deserves our worship. The only God who deserves our worship. It sets Him apart as the only God who could claim this place. It's the, he is the only God that this verse could ever be written about. Because He is the only God who is able. All other gods. All other gods. Whether it's a statue sitting in a temple or a figment of your imagination, or the, the desires and motives of your heart like power, control, approval, comfort. All other gods are limited by our power because we created them. See, but Paul's talking about a God who can't just do what He's been said to have done. Paul's talking about a God 
who is able to do far more abundantly than we could think or ask. Paul is asking us to look at a God whose capability is beyond our intelligible, logical thought. He's asking us to stand in a place of, of that's beyond us. He's asking us to look at a God who's capable of things that we can't even imagine. And he says now, he is the God that deserves your worship. There's no other God. No other God deserves the glory. And here's the thing. When we, saw, when we say things like that in Christian culture, a lot of times we just say it and we don't really understand what it means. What does it mean that God gets the glory? What, what does that mean? What does it mean that God's the only one that deserves glory, that no other God deserves glory? What does that mean? Well, no other God deserves credit. No other God deserves the credit for what God's done. No other God. Karma, it didn't keep things together for you in the, in the previous year. Your good intentions for other people didn't bring you good stuff last year. If, if that's what you think, I'm here, to, I'm here to spoil it for you. It didn't happen. There's no mystical force in the, in the, in the world that when you do good, it, it stacks out some good for you. Okay? Earl was wrong. Uh, I can see some of you will watch that show. It, it doesn't happen that way. But there's a flip side to that as well. As a child of God, you can know this, that every difficult situation you faced last year, every difficult situation you face in the year to come, is not the result of your bad choices. I mean, there's consequences, don't get me wrong, but there's no karma that when you, I don't know, don't pay your taxes... Karma's going to make your car break down. Every difficult situation you face is brought on in your life and allowed by God for your good. You don't suffer in vain. You don't suffer because you screwed up. You see, God's grace in Jesus Christ says that despite who you are, He works for your good. And you know what that does? That brings Him great glory. No other God deserves the credit for this. So as you struggle, and as you are blessed and sense the blessing tangibly, praise God. No other God deserves that credit. No other God deserves our adoration. We love a lot of things in our culture, don't we? A lot of things other than God, the God. We, we love all kinds of stuff. We really love entertainment. I think probably, and I don't have any way to prove this, but as I look at who we are as a people today, I think we're probably the most entertained culture that has ever lived. I mean, I re you re really just think about it for just a moment. Uh, uh, everything is given towards happiness and entertainment. We love it so much, even as God's people. It seems like we set Him aside so that we could continue to be entertained. I just wonder, I wonder sometimes, and I've thought about this a lot in my own life, and the things that I allow myself to be a part of. I often wonder if Jesus was sitting physically next to me, and I could see him. He wasn't just there in faith, but he was there by sight. If I could see, I just wonder if we watch what we do on television. I wonder. 
I wonder if we'd go see the same movies. Or look at the stuff we look at on the internet. I wonder if our priorities would be different if we knew that everywhere we went, every place we go, that Jesus was standing right next to us. I wonder if entertainment would be our top priority. I think it's unfortunate. I think it's really unfortunate that we adore things other than God. That we adore things other than Jesus. I know we adore them because the number one reason I hear people challenge us about reading a book for a community group or or not taking on some service in the church or not doing something for people you know, doing some mission activity is I just don't have time. Why? Is it because you adore something more than you adore Him? Nothing deserves that adoration. Nothing. No other God deserves our praise. For many of us, the only time we're speaking words of praise is in these minutes before the service when we sing together. Think of it. We've been gone for two weeks because we missed last week. Did you verbally praise Jesus? in the time that we've not been together? Did you say a good word for Him? How many of you posted on Facebook about a football game, something going on in politics? Or No other God deserves that praise. No other God deserves our devotion. We align our resources to accomplish the things we want to, don't we? I mean, if you really want something, if you really want something, you'll find money, time, and opportunity to do it. You'll find, you'll you'll even learn how to do something. I really wanted to be an aircraft mechanic. I know, it sounds silly maybe now, but when I was 17, 18 years old, I really wanted to be Someone who messed, well, actually, I started off wanting to be a pilot. You know what? I didn't want that enough. Started working on them and found out I really enjoyed that more. I really wanted to be an aircraft mechanic. And so I, I went through tons of training to be someone who could work on airplanes. We do that. We, we figure out how to do it. We learn how to do it. We spend time being trained how to do it. We, we ask people to show us what to do. We devote ourselves to it. We devote our resources to it. No other God deserves that devotion but one. No other God deserves our service. It's not just the way we devote and and align our resources. It's not just about that. For those things that are really important to us, we spend an exorbitant, exorbitant amount of energy. Don't we? No other God deserves that service. Sometimes, sometimes these things that get our praise, these things that get our service and our devotion, sometimes these things that get our adoration, they even look noble. It's easy for me to sit here and pick on something that is church culture 
culturally unacceptable. I hope you understood that. That's culturally unacceptable in the church. Let me say it that way. It's easy for me to pick on things like that because, you know, we're not going to make a big show of watching things like, I don't know, two and a half men or, or how I'm at, you know, we're not going to make a big show about that in church. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll have, but if I asked who watched that now, you're not about to show me your hands, are you? You see, because we know right now that's not culturally acceptable. But there's a lot of things we do that look very noble. I'm going to put my wife first. I'm going to put my kids second. And I'm going to, okay, that's good. That's really good. Where's Jesus in that equation? He's got to be first. Then your wife. Then your kids. You see, let me, let me just illustrate this for you. And, and I, I think this will help. Spurgeon used an illustration about a, about a farmer and a nobleman. And the illustration goes like this. There was, a, there was a gardener who farmed a plot of land. It wasn't anything special, just a, just a regular old everyday farmer. Dirty hands, always had dirt under his fingernails. That's the guy. He had this, this, this crop of carrots, and as he was harvesting his crop, he came across this carrot that was, it was magnificent. I don't know what a, what a magnificent carrot looks like. Just imagine the best carrot you've ever seen doesn't seem that extraordinary, does it? But he had this carrot. He's like, this is the best carrot I'll ever raise. I want to give it to my king. And so he finds his way to the king's court. He goes in. He goes through all the process, all the steps to get into the king's court. He stands before his king and he says, king, this is the best carrot I've ever raised or ever will raise. I want to honor you with it. And he gave this carrot to the king. Man, the king is moved. Wow. He says, you know what? Because you honored me in this way, I have a plot of land that sits right next to yours. And I want to give you that land. It's yours. And I want you to go and garden it. And I want you to raise more amazing carrots. And this man is blown away. He had no intention had no intention of going to the king to get more land. He just wanted to honor the king. And the king blessed him. And there's a nobleman in the court. And the nobleman, the nobleman sees this and he's like, wow, if this guy gets a plot of land for a carrot, what can I get for something much more magnificent? So the next day, the nobleman sets up this plan. He's got it figured out. He knows what he's going to do. He brings in this beautiful black stallion. He says, King, this is the greatest horse I've ever raised or ever will raise. I want to honor you with this, this, this black stallion. The king looks at him. And he accepts the stallion. He takes it and he turns and he begins to leave, but he notices the nobleman is perplexed. Wait. That guy got a plot of land for a carrot. What's going on? So the king turns to him and says, look, yesterday the gardener came to me and gave me a carrot. Today you came to me and gave yourself a horse. You see, the idea is this. It's not about what you do as much as it is about why you do it. So we can, we can come together, we can come together and we can do all these noble things, but if they are for our credit for our own glory, for our own praise, for our own benefit, we are giving them to ourselves. 
That's not for Jesus' fame. Only God deserves the glory. Only God deserves this credit. Only He deserves our adoration. Only He deserves our praise. Only He deserves our devotion. And only our God who created, who saved, who sent His Son, who says you are no longer condemned, who says that I will give you every good gift from heaven, who says that now even the worst things I will work out for your good, only this God is worthy to be glorified. Only this God deserves to be worshipped. This ability, this benefit on your behalf is what sets God apart from all other gods to be worshipped in this way. Only God deserves your... Only He deserves to be made famous. Only He deserves this position in your life. Let me just clarify something just real quickly. Because I don't want you to think that everything you do that in some way provides benefit for you is a bad thing. Entertainment. God wants you to be entertained. He, he, he longs for you to know joy. But not more than knowing Him. It's not wrong to sit down today after you go home from church and watch a football game. Go, do it. But if you're doing that at the expense of being with Him, then there's a problem. It's not wrong to go to work and expect a paycheck for, for, your, for your efforts. Well, hey boss, you know, I don't need a paycheck. I'm just here to glorify Jesus. Take the paycheck! There's nothing wrong with it. It's a good thing. But don't let that paycheck be the motive for your work. Be a good employee, not because you get paid enough. It's been my experience you never get paid enough. Don't be a good employee because you get paid enough. Be a good employee because you want to see Jesus glorified as you proclaim His name. You see, the idea is not what you do as much as why you do it. As, as we live in this world, there, there are th really three kinds of people. I just want to set this out for you so that you see it and hopefully you'll choose this year to be in, 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 in one group. The world is full of people who, who give God nothing. They reject Him. They deny Him. They, they, uh, they, they try to ignore His existence and His power. And they only come to Him. They only turn to Him when they're in trouble. You've heard the saying, you know, there's no such thing as an atheist on a plane that's going down. You know, oh, I'm out of control. All of a sudden, I need God. We saw that happen September 11, 2001. In the, in the immediate weeks that followed, you know what happened to church attendance after that? It swelled. How much has it changed America? Them going to church, more people going to church. How much? You know what's happened since then? That swell of growth actually shrunk, and now per capita the church continues to shrink. You see it in our pop culture when, when um, you know, like on a television show, somebody does something stupid. Hey, big guy, I don't come to you much, but I need your help. When they're in trouble. Any other day of the week, they couldn't care less. In fact, they'd deny his existence before they'd say anything about it. But then there are those like the nobleman who try to manipulate God with their gifts, who try to try to get him to act on their behalf by doing things for him. I did this for you, God, so now where's mine? I give my time, I give my money, I give my I, I, I give my effort, I, I, I learn things for you, I give 
I give myself to learning how to serve you. I, I pursue you. I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. What do I do? I think of you, God. So what are you going to do for me? These two, two groups have something in common. I think you already know it. They're not in it for God. They're in it for what they can receive, what they can get, what they can, what they can enjoy. And they've got a God that they're serving, that they're devoted to, that they're praising, that they're adoring, that they're giving the credit to, than the God. But here's the thing. God's going to be glorified with them. You see, this statement of Paul's is not just a statement of something we should do, but it's a statement of fact. God will be glorified. He will have His glory. And when He comes to these people in the end, and they are condemned, He is a just and righteous and holy God, and He will be glorified. And He will be glorified to say, you are condemned, depart from Me. I sent My Son and you ignored Him. I showed you My power and you denied it. I provided for you an opportunity and you walked away from it. Depart. I hope and I pray that if you're here today and this is the group of people you reside in, that you'll turn from that. And you'll trust in Jesus. Give Him your life that He may be glorified much by you, that you might live for His fame. Because here's this third group of people at work And the only difference between this group of people and the other two groups of people is the power of God at work in them. I stand here today to you, talking to you about this, not as a person who's made my way here, but who the way has been made for. I am righteous. I am holy. I have hope. I know joy. Not because I did something right, but because Jesus did something right for me. And now His power is at work in me. And that is the story of every person that resides in this third group. The one thing that sets us apart is not what we do, but what's been done in us. According to the power at work in us is what Paul says. Not, hey, when you get it figured out and you do your thing, then God will get the glory. No. According to the power at work in us, we are now able to live for His glory, to live for His fame, to give our lives in honor of Him to give our lives in worship with Him. God will have His glory, but His power at work in us, but by His power at work in us, we can do it intentionally. You see that? You can now intentionally honor God. And when we do, that is worship. God will be glorified. He will be glorified in in, in condemning people because of His righteousness and holiness and having provided a real opportunity for their salvation. And God will be glorified in saving those who don't deserve deserve it because He took their sin and He placed it on Jesus and He took Jesus' righteousness and He placed it on those sinners. He will be glorified. And now He says, because I'm working in you, you can do this with me. You can give me glory. That is a blessing in and of itself. So as we come to the close of this message, I, I don't want this to just be a, the title of a message for Jesus' fame. I, I think it's a great title. I came up with it all on my own. I really think it's good. like it. 
it's not just a sermon series title. I want it to be a slogan that we repeat regularly. Now, last year this time I came to you and I said, I want this to be a slogan. I want it to be something that, that changes us. That, and and I, I gave you the slogan, um, a life that counts or something like that. Man, I thought that was a good one too. Came up with that one too. You can pat me on the back later. But I want this to be a slogan that doesn't just, you know, bounce around in our heads a little bit. And I want it to be a slogan that really changes the direction of our life or that we use as a tool to change the direction of our life. And here's how I think that can happen. First, we're fortunate that as we go through the rest of Ephesians, there's instruction upon instruction upon instruction. And every week I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, do this for Jesus' fame. For Jesus' fame. For Jesus' fame. So I'm going, to, I'm going to be talking to you about it for several months to come. But beyond that, I want you to covenant with me in something. I want you to covenant with me. This is, this is how a, a question I've asked myself for some time now. If you ever read anything from me, you're going to find me signing at the end for Jesus' fame. I don't just put that because it's a cool way to sign a letter. I think it is a cool way to sign a letter. We can go into that later. But I do that because, oh, I don't know when it was. It was some time ago. I was struck that my life should be poured out for his fame. So when I come to you with a letter, with, with anything that comes from me that, that I sign at the end, I, I didn't write the words before that for any other reason than to see Jesus made famous. To encourage you to love him more. I want to, I want to, I want to ask you to covenant with me this year that we would make this a year for Jesus and His fame. And you could say, oh, well, why shouldn't we be doing We should do this all our life. Yeah, that's great, but I, I... Come on, let's be real. Most of us can't keep a resolution past a month. It's going to be difficult enough to make it to next year. But I want to stand here next year in front of you by God's grace, I want to stand here and I want us together to proclaim the glory of God and tell stories that, that, that He has done, the work that He did in us and around us as we strove and worked and gave money and gave time and energy to make Him famous. You see, that's what I long for. I want you to know this isn't just me. The elder board, the, 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 the team that leads this church there's not a decision that's made. There's not a. There's nothing that happens that this test hasn't been applied to. Passing plates. We didn't used to do that. We started doing that this year. Commitment cards. We've never done commitment cards. We didn't. We. we why would we change that? Why would we do that? Not because we want money. We need money. I won't get me. Don't get me wrong. But it's not first because we want money. We long for you to be intentional about your offering. We long for you to be asking God to, to bless you so that you can bless others. We long for you to be before God with what He's given you tangibly and say, God, I know it's really yours. How would you, how would you have me give? And how would you have me live? We want you doing that. And we want to keep it in front of you regularly. Jesus spoke about money more than any, any other thing. It's important that we think of it. Well, what about, what about things like 
Uh, there's been all kinds of change. I, I won't go into it all. We'll talk more about it next week at the family meeting. Tons of change. But I'm telling you, as we come to these things, we aren't changing just for change's sake. We're not challenging you just for challenge's sake. We're asking you to pour out your life for Jesus' fame. We may say it a different way. We may, we may have asked the question differently. But it all comes down to this. His fame. So I'm going to ask you to covenant with me. Will you covenant with me? It means you're going to have to stop doing some of the things you do. I'm already censoring some of the things I've watched and streamed on, on, on uh, TV. There may be things that you do that don't honor Him. You and I cannot sin and honor Jesus. Okay? I mean, let's just... It doesn't honor God for you to go out and live in your freedom and do things that are rebellious and sinful. It doesn't, doesn't do it. So if you do those things... We all do those things. I do those things. You do those things. Let's be honest. You need to strive to stop them. It's okay for His fame. It's only legalism if you're doing it to earn your place in front of God. But it's glorifying to God when you do it to see Him made famous. So we need to stop some of those things. We need to start doing some things that we don't do. Last year, I'm going to pick on him. I didn't tell tell him I was going to do this. But last year, Billy Kimmins, he, he wrote an article in the newspaper, so I feel like if he put it out there, I can use it here. Right? Okay. Last year, he, he wrote an article in, in the newsletter about this. He, he read his Bible all the way through for the first time in his life. He made time to get it done. And we need to do that. If you've never read your Bible all the way through, start reading your Bible. And I don't, I don't know, maybe the easiest way, maybe it's not the easiest way for you. I don't care if you get it done in a year, but just start at Genesis and just make your way through it. At some point, you'll finish if you keep doing it. It'll be a great blessing to you. I guarantee it. God's Word never returns void. You will be grown. You will be encouraged. You will be convicted. You will be shaped and molded in the likeness of His Son. We need to start spending time in prayer and prayer together and prayer alone. Our community group this is one of the things I've committed to. I haven't talked to all of them about it. Ultimately, in our in my community group, the, the the one I'm a part of, we are going to focus on prayer. We have already been doing it, but we're going to ensure that we spend time in prayer together. But we need to start praying by ourselves for one another. You'll see that coming up in Ephesians. We don't just need to read the Bible. I would encourage you to study the Bible. I don't, I don't think we should always turn off pop culture i don't i think if we're entertained by it there's an issue but if we're learning from pop culture i don't see as big a deal with it we can talk about that a little bit later but but the idea here is is that we often waste tons of time looking at stuff in the world i mean how many hours do you spend watching tv just think about it how much time do you spend doing things that really just you're spending your wills I want you to take that. I want you to think about that. And, and, and replace it, not just with Bible reading, but Bible study. That means you find some good resources. We've got a list of resources we can give you. You find some good, solid resources. And you spend time studying those so that you can continue to grow in knowledge, but also that you can continue to reflect the beauty of your Savior. And, and, and then there's going to be some things that you need to keep doing that you need to keep doing but do them for a different reason. You need to keep going to work. 
don't don't go to work tomorrow. My pastor said I can't come here anymore. I got to go live for Jesus. You need to keep going to work. But you need to continue. You need to start going to work for His glory before you're going for a paycheck. You need to start going to work for His fame rather than finding friends because you're lonely. I'm telling you, if you're going to work to find friends, you must be lonely. Talk to me. We'll help you find a community group so you won't be lonely. You can still be entertained. There's nothing wrong with being entertained. There's nothing wrong with sitting down and enjoying an amazing meal with your friends. But when these things trump His glory, you need to change the reason you're doing it. Feast together for the glory of God. Rest for the glory of God. Work for the glory of God. Be entertained and laugh and have fun to the glory of God for Jesus' fame. All of these things you can keep doing and should be doing. The point is that nothing in our lives should, should, should be, nothing in our lives is outside of this. Nothing that we involve ourselves, nothing that we give ourselves to, nothing is outside of this. So let me just encourage you to, to funnel all your resources, to funnel your relationships, to funnel your, your, uh, your engagements and your, um, your calendar, your, Funnel your, your time, your talent, your treasure. Funnel it all through this filter. Am I doing this for Jesus' fame? Can I do this for Jesus' fame? Some things you need to stop. Some things you need to start. Some things you need to keep doing with a different reason for doing it. However you need to do, however you need to do that, however you need to come to that, I would ask you to covenant with me this year to make this a year for Jesus' fame. Let's pray. Father, You're good and You're gracious. We love You for the work that You've done. We're so honored by it. We're so blessed. And we, God, we know that in our, in our minds, but would you, would you, Father, push that into our hearts, into the depths of who we are, that we might learn to live by this power and in this power and allowing this power and seeing this power move from us to move out of us. God, would You do that work? Father, would You, would you show us those things that we give glory to other than You? That we adore more than You? God, would You, would you help us? As we look forward to the year ahead, Father, would you make this not a, a year about resolutions as much about a determination to live as you've called us to live, to be, be the people you called us to be. Father, we love you and we're grateful. But would you help us to make those more than just words? Would you help us to live it out? as we stand and sing, as we celebrate communion together. But more than that, as we step out into a world that doesn't love you and doesn't want to love you. All these things I pray in Jesus' name.